0: On a recent evening, I found myself meandering through a plaza in Mexico, drifting along with the smell of warm churros hanging in the air. I was perusing the artisans, uh, watching them as they weaved or they worked on their leather goods. And that's when I saw her. She was smiling at me from across the plaza. She was a most elegant lady a fancy hat atop her pale face, long, graceful arms, and bony fingers draped easily over her companion's shoulders. The woman on her right is Frida Kahlo. The man on her left, Frida's husband, Diego Rivera. Who is this skeletal, blank-eyed woman in the middle? Her title is La Calavera Katrina, but most just call her Katrina. (laughs) Welcome to Death Becomes Her, the minicast where we spend five to ten minutes discussing death, dying, and grief from a variety of angles. I'm your host, Layla Kelly. Walking the streets of Mexico, you're likely to run into loads of these skeletal Katrinas, often arm-in-arm with their bony but dapper gentleman, Katrine. Sometimes they're larger than life. Sometimes they're seated on benches with arms draped around those who stop to rest. Sometimes their faces grace the walls in the form of murals. If all else fails, you'll definitely see their smiling faces. No, that's not the right word. Their smiling skulls for sale in gift shops. Death culture in Mexico is everywhere. And Katrina, with her turn-of-the-century plumed hat and dress, feather boa, and long lashes— is the reigning queen of death. She has become a well-known symbol of both death and Mexico. She, however, is not the first lady of death to hold court in the history of Mexico. Long before Katrina, there was Mixtecasewadl. Mixtecasewadl was a mythological Aztec lady of the dead. Her backstory goes something like this. She was born into the Aztec Empire and had a short life she was sacrificed as an infant. In the afterlife, she became wife to Mictlantecuhtli. Together, they ruled over the land of Miklan, where the dead reside. They had power over all the dead, those who died normal deaths, those who died heroic deaths, and the non-heroic deaths. It was believed that Mikte guarded the bones of the dead and as their guardian, she was front and center in the festivals recognizing the dead. Her look matches her role in the culture. Her body is defleshed, she has a skull for a face, and her skirt is made of snakes. The Aztec and Mesoamerican people would bury items with the dead that were intended as offerings for her in hope that she would ensure the safety of their loved ones in the underworld. Eventually, the worship of Mixtecatze found its way into Christianity. The Mesoamerican festivals of the dead were absorbed into Catholicism during the Spanish occupation of Mexico. The celebrations then fused with All Saints Day and All Souls Day, creating a Christian version that differs very little from the Mesoamerican version. However, as time passed, Mixtecatze adoration faded. Enter Katrina. How did she get involved in all this? Not in the way that you might assume. Her backstory is quite similar, not to Waddle, but to another mythical figure, Santa Claus. The lore of Saint Nicholas goes back to the third century, but the icon that is known as Santa today—he's much more recent. The red suit, the white beard. That Santa was based on an 1863 drawing by Thomas Nast, a cartoonist who worked for Harper's Weekly. Years later, in 1931, another illustrator, Haddon Sundblum, began working on a Coca-Cola advertising campaign. He added to Nast Santa, and his rendition is cemented Santa as the rosy-cheeked Coca-Cola red-wearing symbol of Christmas that we are all familiar with today. Katrina's image is based in cartoon illustrations as well. Jose Posada was a political satirist and cartoonist. He focused on societal issues. His drawings were easy to spot because they all had a common theme. Regardless of class or social stature, his figures were represented as calaveras, or skull faces. Current events, literature, history, natural disasters, his figures were always drawn as Calaveras. There was a basic underlying message to his drawings. It was a bit of a dance macabre theme. The idea that no matter our statue in life, rich or poor, great or small, underneath it all, we're all the same. A bunch of bones, and those bones will all have the same eventuality. The Grave. In 1910, Posada created a sketch that ultimately would go viral. It became known as La Calavera Katrina. She was a smiling skeleton wearing a large European-style hat adorned with lace, flowers, and feather plumes. She was drawn to criticize the upper class, a political statement referencing then-leader Porfirio Diaz, who was known for his corruption and his obsession with high-society Europe. In 1947, years later, Katrina once again emerged in political art when famed artist Diego Rivera finished a mural entitled Dream of a Sunday Afternoon in the Alameda Central. The mural features at its center an elegantly dressed Katrina wearing a serpent feather boa linked arm in arm with Jose Posada. They are surrounded by scenes of history and notable Mexican figures. In the years since Katrina has continued to be a symbol associated with social injustice, but her skeletal smile and fancy dress—they are most commonly associated with the Day of the Dead. Though some of her physical features are different, her role is the same as Mictlancihuatl. She watches over the dead and is worshipped in the same kind of festivals revered by the Mesoamericans. And her kingdom is expanding. With the popularity of Disney films like Coco and a bit of cultural appropriation, Katrina's devotees can now be found internationally. Her smiling face represents the culmination of centuries of history, cultures, and religions that have been fused into the idol, celebrated, and revered as La Calavera Katrina. And that is the history of the Katrinas that you see all throughout Mexico. Before I go today, I want to switch gears a bit. Something that I found while researching this episode, came from a National Geographic article. It made this comment about Katrina. It says her elegant dress suggests celebration, her smile, however inescapable, reminding us that there is perhaps comfort in an acceptance of mortality. As you know, I very much believe that talking about death is a good thing, that it is better to acknowledge mortality than to ignore it. However, as comfortable as we may get with death and dying, when you're in the midst of the dying process with a loved one, it's anything but celebratory. It can be brutally hard to navigate and endure. I ran into this recently with an acquaintance who was companioning her sister as she died. Here's the quick version of the story. My acquaintance, who has a medical background, wasn't in agreement with the decisions that her brother-in-law was making regarding her sister's care. These kinds of disagreements aren't all that unusual in end-of-life situations. Stress, fears, emotions, they're all running high, and it's just plain difficult. She knew that, and she knew it would be best to acquiesce to her brother-in-law's wishes. After all, he had been given authority to make decisions on behalf of his wife. Even though she understood the elements at play, she was conflicted and sad and needed space to share those feelings so that she could be emotionally present for her sister. So one night she called me and I listened to her story and we took some time to talk about what she was experiencing. And then she felt like she was able to go back and engage in her sister's care. Not long after that, another friend of mine was explaining that he felt that if he were facing a death crisis, he'd want to call me. I asked him about that. I asked him, why would you feel like you'd want to call me? And he explained that a neutral third party, an impartial listening ear can be a beneficial resource when you're carrying a burden, a burden that those whom you're close to may also be overwhelmed by. He suggested that I make myself available to those who are coping with the strain of of end-of-life care, and I've taken his suggestion, and now I am available for support conversations. So if that is a service that you could use, or you know somebody else who may find this helpful, you can find a link on the Leaving Well Death Doula Instagram bio, or you can find my website in the outro, which is coming up right now. Thank you for listening to The Death Becomes Her minicast. Connect with me, Layla Kelly at www.leavingwellmt.com. Special thanks to Roman Belove for our intro and outro music. Thank you for tuning in and remember, talking about death won't kill you. I promise.